reading from Genesis this morning, Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob's taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob called, ascended, and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And, and he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I've seen that Laban, seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. This is the word of God. Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I've been on a preaching break uh, and I'm still on one, but I'm, I'm kind of hanging out this morning just up here uh, to introduce uh, Brian Metz. Uh, first, I want to make a couple of announcements and by a couple, I mean four. Um, so the first one, we've got some slides back behind me. I think Discover Class is next week. If you've been coming for a little while or you don't know much about us and you'd like to find out next week at 11 o'clock, uh, right across the hall, we'll have our Discover class. You can come and, and we say, hey, here's where we came from. Here's what we stand for. Here is what we believe. Um, here's, who, here's how God is working in us and through us for the mission in Athens, in the Athens area. So this, that's what this class is about. That's going to be next week, um, Full Tummy Project. Um, that, a school is starting back. Did you, you, you believe that? 
School's, school's starting back, and it's very soon. So we're now collecting uh, the non-perishable food items, and you can just drop those off in the main entry up there. Uh, there's a, a banner with more information uh, for you on that. And then we've got uh, our kickoff. Student kickoff is this Wednesday, August the 2nd. It'll be 630 right here. That's 6th grade through 12th grade. And to uh, that'll be right here uh, for all students. And then Promotion Sunday will be next week. So if you're like four years old, you'll be like doing the five-year-old things. You're, you're like moving up in your class. It works for students. And so just be ready for that, parents, when you come in and, and your sticker might be a little bit different. So we'll just let you know. Now, Brian Mess is going to be speaking and bringing the word for us this morning. Who is he? He is from our Madison campus. Um, Brian was very instrumental in helping us get our students our student, uh, like, Apex off the ground when we were first starting. We had, like, just a few kids. And when Joel, just you guys worked together and you just kind of showed him the ropes. And we are so thankful for that. He's also moving to a new uh, position. It's going to be missional community pastor from what I understand. So you're in some transition. And so in the meantime, I really appreciate you coming, bro. Love you. And I look forward to hearing from what guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I'm out. Uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's like a family reunion coming back and seeing some faces I know. And it's super exciting. I was telling uh, Joey and Jamie back there, it's super exciting to see faces I don't know. That means that uh, God is at work in your midst and that uh, he's drawing men and women and boys and girls to himself. And so uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning to uh, continue our journey in, in Genesis. And before I jump into that, I just want to say that I love your elders. I love uh, the men and the, the women you have serving here uh, at Summer Crossing Limestone, um, particularly Joel McCarty, uh, is, is just dear to my heart. And I just want to say and brag on him a minute. Uh, he's, he's away leading uh, student leaders, uh, uh, adults who want to serve with teenagers. You should be praying for him just in that, uh, one, in that sentence. should be a good prayer for him. Uh, but, uh, man, I love that guy. He, uh, he just has a servant's heart and just loves the Lord, and you can see it. It's all over him, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm a better pastor, minister, shepherd because of Joel, and so a lot of times he kind of like points at me, and I, I get to point at him this morning, and so, and not just Joel, but Jamie and, and the rest of your elder team, um, I just love those guys. I love what God is doing and what, what he's up to here in Limestone. Um, it's a beautiful expression of God's body here. And uh, so anyway, I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited about uh, this episode, if you will, uh, uh, chapter 31 in God's story of Genesis. And uh, as I approach this text, uh, and Jamie had asked me to to preach uh, about a week ago, um, but but man, we've been walking through Genesis for quite some time. And I I started to think about Genesis as a whole, and and I started to think about our time and our journey in Genesis, and this thought uh, across my mind that it's like this, it's like this epic sort of TV drama, right? Like there's all these episodes that we have, these all these little stories within the story. And uh, I was thinking about specifically uh, chapter 31. It plays out like this this episode in season two of Genesis, right? Like, like we've, we've come to get to know the, the creation fall. We know the creator. We know God is the main character of the story. And he's just, he's kind of the, 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 the unseen force that's kind of pushing the story along. And, 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 Season two opens up with sort of Abraham's family, right? And in, in, in episode 31, we get this, this hillbilly 
redneck family doing their thing again, right? Like, I mean, come on. Like, the last couple chapters, you haven't seen, like, marrying cousins and, like, and, like, taking on a couple of wives. That's not a little like my family in West Virginia. I mean, come on. Like, there's some, there's, there's something to be said. We can see our culture. We can see things, imprints of who we are in humanity right here in the book of Genesis. That's why I love how flawed the heroes of Genesis are. It's my people, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's my people. These are our flawed people. And we see that, that only God is the one, the good and perfect one in this whole entire story. And so uh, we're we here in, in, in Genesis. So I think, I think about it like this. We would set this up like previously in Genesis, right? The last few chapters we've seen the story of Jacob kind of unfolding. And, and if, if you've been walking with us or you haven't, let's, let's remind you a little bit. Ever since chapter 27, uh, Jacob's kind of left uh, very much estranged from his family, some deceitful things he had done, tricked his brother out of his birthright, and we fi- he finds himself uh, being sent away, basically. He didn't have any blessing. He took a cloak and a satchel, basically, with him, and, he sa- and they said, go to the land of Haran and go m- meet Laban, my brother. This is what Rebecca says to him, and, and go and find a wife. So she sends him out. And it's not like Isaac finding a wife, Rebecca, in Haran, because when Isaac was to find a wife. Abraham sent his servant to Haran and said, go find a wife for my, uh, my son, Isaac. And he found beautiful Rebecca and brought her back, right? No, Jacob goes with nothing. He gets tricked by his uncle, all right? He gets tricked and said, uh, yeah, you can marry my daughter, Rachel. But, but really, it was Leah, right? Like, come on, y'all. That's, that's crazy, fact that Jacob didn't know going into the whole thing is a little weird to me too. Like, and then, and then we have on the scene with this whole thing, he goes, okay, so I'll work six years for Leah, but then I'm going to work six more years for Rachel. What? Because he's, he's, he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have a dowry. He doesn't even know if he's going to be welcomed back at his dad's house. And, and so he just works for Laban and Laban kind of takes advantage of that. Over and over again, in fact, Laban takes advantage of it. In fact, for 20 years, 20 years, he takes advantage of Jacob. And that's where we find ourselves in this story in episode 31, right? We find ourselves in this, um, in this dilemma right from the very beginning, in the very, very first part of, of chapter 31. And chapter 31 is broken down in, in, in different scenes. And so the first uh, first three verses, it's sort of the dilemma. It's sort of the call. We see there's this action that's taking place here. Um, Jacob longs to go back to his father's house, but he hasn't had an opportunity to go because Laban keeps tricking him and keeps holding, withholding from him what he is actually due Jacob. And Jacob prospers through this whole thing. He's prospering. Uh, he tries to to, you know, trick things and, and, and manipulate genetics, and God still prospers him. Even through Jacob's deceit, God prospers him. And even through Laban's trickery and deceit, all the whole time, God is the one who is prospering Jacob. Now, the whole reason for this is because God has a plan, right? 
Um, this is all part of the promise. And if we, we picked up 31 and we just read this, we'd be thinking to ourselves, what is going on here? But there's this redemptive story arc that's taking place where God is creating for himself a people for his purpose. And in that, he's, he's promised them. I mean, this is the whole, uh, the whole thrust of Genesis and our whole subtitle to our, our, our uh, journey together, right? promises kept, promises made, promises kept. And, and here's this big promise. In fact, the big promise comes uh, to Abraham. And this is all part of that. And I'll, I'll, I'll jump into that in just a minute. But in verse 31, or, or in chapter 31, verse 1, now Jacob heard the, that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was your, our father's, and from what our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, let's, let's mark those words. If you are a marking in your Bible person, underline, highlight, do whatever you need to with those words, and I will be with you. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to kind of walk quickly through this chapter um, with you. All right, so verses 1 through 3, we have the dilemma and the call from God. And then sec- the second scene, we kind of have this um, this 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 scene in which Jacob explains this to his wives, which is still weird to say. Um, he explains all of what God, what God has been doing, what God is up to, the fact that God is calling him out of this. And, he's, and he basically says, look, your dad has tricked me this whole time. He's not been faithful to me. And he's, he's going to continue to do that. We need to leave. God is going to be with us. In fact, God told me to leave. And then we see in another scene... Scene three, we see this in, in fear and, and deceit still. I mean, this is sort of the character we've seen of Jacob anyway. In fear and deceit, uh, verses 17 through 21, he leaves. He takes off to head back to Canaan. And so he tricks Laban. In fact, it, it says that he, he steals Laban's heart. He steals his heart. And he leaves sort of in the middle of the night and just, just, goes with all of his, what he believes is his flock, his people, his wives. By the way, there's not just two, there's four. Come on, Jacob. If there's four wives, can you imagine explaining that to just one wife? God told me in a dream. I've convinced one woman. I've done that before. Um, I, actually, on a couple of occasions, I've had to say to my wife, I believe the Lord is calling us to leave this full-time, well-paid, benefits job and go and follow him to a place where I have no guaranteed income. I have no idea how we're going to make it. I just know we're supposed to go. I've done that before. Um, I can't imagine explaining that to four women <laughs> with 12 children. But he does. He, he actually finally starts to talk to his wives about God. We see this happening. We see this happening in this chapter. And so they, they set out, verses 17 through 21. They, they kind of do some, some deceit and trickery, and they head out. And then, and then we see in uh, 22 through 24 that there's going to be a pursuit, right? It's sort of like, I, I, I think about it like the, the, the horses, you know, like they're all going out to, to catch uh, a sheep herder. 
Like, I mean, he's like, all of his men, round up the posse. We got to go get Jacob, right? And, and Jacob's got, a, you know, maybe a seven-day head start, but he's got women on ca- camels, children on camels, and a bunch of sheep. He's got to get through the wilderness. He's not going very fast is where I'm kind of going with that. And so Laban catches him, and we see that in a dream, God protects Jacob. In a dream, God protects Jacob. Verse 24, But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So don't harm him, basically. And then after you see this this pursuit of Laban, the trickster, and the protection of God in a dream comes this confrontation. Finally, Laban overtook Jacob, verse 25. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Now what's interesting here is that in their culture, um, Laban would have been the protector, provider, and what we see is Jacob kind of went underneath that protection as opposed to being separate from that protection. Normally what would happen is you would marry. We get this from Genesis, right? You leave and cleave. And what has happened with Jacob, he's just kind of kept into Laban's family so much that that God has prospered him in Laban's, Laban's care in, in protection but what has happened is, is that it's not really Laban doing the work. Laban's tricking and abusing and using Jacob this whole time. I mean, he go, Jacob goes into this whole, whole confrontation and kind of lays it out for him. He's like, look, man, you, you have just used us and tricked us and changed our wages for, for, for years now. Ten times, he says, that you've done this. What's interesting about that is this whole time, that Jacob's been used and abused, God is still protecting him. God is still providing for him. God is still prospering Jacob. In fact, no matter what Laban would do to him, over and over and over again, God made it very evident to Jacob and to Laban that it was God who was doing the protecting. Now, what's, what's interesting about this to me, and even in this confrontation with Laban bringing these accusations and then you see, um, uh, you see, you know, Jacob kind of coming back to him and set, laying out a defense of like, "Hey, look, man, I've, I've done everything you've asked of me. I've not, I've, I've, I've actually gone above what you've asked of me. When when sheep were killed in the wilderness, I didn't come back to you on that. I just, I just ate the cost. I've done what I was supposed to do, and you kept holding me and holding me and holding on to me and tricking me and changing my wages." What's the point? Why, why, why is this in here in chapter 31? I mean, what's the point of this? Well, we see Jacob, the trickster, getting tricked, and it kind of comes to a head, right? I mean, these, these few chapters, we're seeing the chronicle of Jacob and his schooling in Haran. We're seeing him being humbled is what's happening. We're seeing Jacob being humbled. We see that God is the one who is transforming Laban's deceit into Jacob's prosperity. And he's the one who is taking Jacob and from the trickster deceitful to someone that God is um, 
going to use. What's interesting, though, is Jacob hasn't learned a whole bunch. I mean, if you, if you look at this chapter, he's still very deceitful. Uh, he leaves in the middle of the night. Laban even says to him, hey, man, I was going to throw you a party. Why did you leave, right? Like, I mean, this is a typical bully kind of response where he's like, hey, man, I was, I was going to throw you a party. We were going to celebrate. We could have, you know, blasted horns and woohoo! you could have had a good time and we could have sent you out, man. And then Jacob's like, well, I was, you know, I was afraid because you kept tricking me. And then Laban comes right back with, well, I could, I could hurt you right now. I mean, I could, I could take you. It's only God that, that's keeping me from hurting you right now. This is all my stuff, right? I mean, that, that's the kind of attitude that Laban has throughout this whole entire story. And, it, and we see that it's only God's providential care of Jacob that he even gets out of Haran. Now, he goes about it the wrong way. Jacob goes about it completely the wrong way. If God is with him, then he should be able to walk out without fear. In fact, uh, one of the commentators that I was, I was reading said, Jacob could have announced his departure and gone in the glory of an army with banners, but fear made it impossible to reap the full measure of blessing. He sneaked away into the will of God instead of departing in triumph. How many times do we do that? We sneak into the will of God. Because we have fear of man. We have a fear of what man will do to us. Um, we have a fear that, that perhaps God isn't with us. That God isn't true and truthful and faithful. And, and that we would never say that probably out loud. Like deep down in our hearts, when there is a fear of man, there's a distrust in God. I mean, rooted in the fear of man, rooted in the fear of what might happen to us and worry and doubt and anxiousness is a strong distrust, distrust in God's providence, provision, and protection. God has already told Jacob, I will be with you. In fact, this is just a, a recalling of an earlier scene with Jacob where God said, wherever you go, man, I'm going to be with you. But as a new covenant people, we see it from a different perspective, don't we? I mean, we're looking back on this story and we're seeing it through the cross of Jesus and through the teachings of Jesus. And so we look back on the story and we hear the words that God says to Jacob in verse 3. The Lord God said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. This has significance and meaning not just for Jacob but for us. Because we look back through the cross and through the teachings of Jesus and we see that God is with us. Matthew 1.23, the name of Jesus has been given by the angel of the Lord and it's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has come to be with us. See, we, we kind of come to this story here in chapter 31 and we go, man, this is a, a really cool story about Jacob and how he fled Laban, and right at the very heart of it, the book ends of this chapter, verse uh, 3, and later on in verse like 42, 45, um, this, whole, this whole thought of God being with us. I love how John's gospel declares that Jesus is with us. This is the word of God, Right? The Word was with God, and the Word is God, and the Word came to dwell 
among us. Eugene Peterson's message puts it kind of like this, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. I like that. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Uh, God encased in flesh came to dwell among us. He's with us. He identifies with us. God came in the flesh to identify with our, our needs, our wants, our fears, our anxieties. He he's feels this as a human. When Jesus was encased in the flesh, he was thirsty. He was hungry. He can identify with our very core needs. What does it mean for God to be with us, though? Not just can he identify with us, but God is with us. He's near to us. The psalmist says that he's near to the brokenhearted. God is not this far-off deity sitting on a white cloud ready to strike us with thunderbolts. Long white beard. Not too unsimilar to my own. No, this... If you've experienced God in this way where he's this distant deity, I would say to you, you do not know Jesus. For God has made himself known in Jesus. Jesus himself said, if you want to see the Father, you just need to see me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You've seen the character of God, the loving character of God, the promising character of God, who doesn't just promise, but fulfills those promises, as he's doing here with Jacob. See, God being with us is the essence and the truth of the gospel. God is with us. And and the beautiful part is is that that Jesus even declares some of his last words. Perhaps you are familiar with this passage in Matthew chapter 28. Um, If you've been around Summit Crossing very long, then I'm sure you have heard Matthew 28, verse 20. Um, Starting in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples, this is Jesus talking, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we we get, man, we just, we have banners with this on it. I'm like, well, this triumph, woo, this is it right here. This is making, making, going on mission, right? We got to, we got to follow through with it. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The very last part of verse 20 makes the first part of 19 possible. You can go, you can go be a blessing. You can go. Make disciples, you can go, you can go teach, baptize, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And the way that you're going to do that is that I'm with you always. In fact, Jesus sends the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be not just with us, but to dwell in us. Thus God being not just our neighbor, but actually with us. Hebrews chapter 13 kind of Uh, beautifully paints this picture for us of how God is with us. Um, He, uh, the writer of Hebrews, is writing these words and he's he's kind of laying out, he goes through the faith chapter versus uh, talking about the heroes and those who are watching us or on looking us. And then he talks about the founder and perfecter of our faith in in chapter 12. And then in verse 
or chapter 13, verse um, 5 and 6, it says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, we anchor ourselves in that hope. We anchor ourselves in that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can he do for me? And before we're too hard on Jacob, which is where I'm I'm going back to, before we're too hard on Jacob, we have to realize that Jacob, he, he doesn't have what we have. He doesn't have the very word of God written in our language, in his language. He has a dream. He has what his father has said to him, what Isaac has has given to him, and what the Lord himself has said. And and I'll I'll be honest with you. I I was in the shower getting ready for today, and I was like, man, Lord, be great if you would just, you know, just be like what you did with Jacob, right? Like, just tell us, go here. I'm sending you. I'm with you. Like audibly, like that would be amazing, right? And instantly, this is how the Lord works. Instantly the Lord says to me, I've given you 66 books, bro. That's, that's how God speaks to me, right? Like I've given you my word. I've given you this love letter that tells you how, everything you need to know for life and godliness. And what's amazing about that is that we see with Jacob that he doesn't leave Haran until he gets the very word of God given to him. Go. And then all of a sudden, Jacob's fear is little, a little bit subdued. He's like, all right. God's telling me to go. I'm going to go present this to my wives. See how it goes, right? Like, had it not gone well with the wives, I wonder what Jacob would have done, right? Would he have gone back into some servitude with, with Laban? I mean, the pressure of Laban's so-called sons, his family members, wasn't enough to get Jacob to flee the town. Laban's trickery wasn't enough to get Laban or to get Jacob to go back to Canaan. What was it that was the impetus, the catalyst for him to go back to Canaan and say, I put my foot down, we're leaving? The very word of God. So in your life, Are you directed by the word of God? Do you make decisions by the word of God? Do you say, this this word tells me that I need to be more generous. This word tells me that I need to love the Lord, my God, with all my mind, soul, strength. The The word says, do not fear. Do not be anxious. Am I allowing that to dictate my life? You go, well, Brian, it doesn't tell me to go and move to Boston and doesn't tell me to get a job over on the other fort somewhere else. It doesn't tell me to go get a job at NASA. It doesn't tell me to go which college to go to. I tell young people this all the time. God's specific. The specific will of God is evident on the pages of this book. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Start there. Let's obey just that, Right? Like, let's just obey God with one little thing. Let's obey God with one, the one thing that he has told us, the very work of, of God is. Jesus said, the work of God is that you would believe in the one whom he has sent. Start there. All right, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm going to start there. And then I'm going to read a little bit more. And then I'm going to obey. 
and we'll read a little bit more, and then we'll obey. This is the life of repentance. This is the life that is the Christian. One that hears the word of God and does the word of God. And namely, namely, it's summed up in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this, my daughter's been singing this Ten Commandments song, right, to us. And she's always like, you know, she goes through all the Ten Commandments and she gets to the end of it. And she's like, and if you can't remember these, just remember what Jesus said. He summed them up like this. Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me to do that. Like, like simple that. Love God with all who I am and love my neighbor as myself. I mean, we can, we can get all excited about going to foreign lands and the, taking the mission there. And, and I want, I desperately believe that we need to take the gospel to the nations. We've got to take it to our own hearts first. We've got to allow God to speak to us and, and say the gospel to us. And the way that the gospel is preached to us is that we preach the gospel to ourselves. This is what's happening with Jacob. In a dream, God declares to him, go to your father's land. And and this is the gospel. I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, Jacob's not perfect. He continues to go in fear and in deceit. In fact, we see uh, it's, it's so in his household, right? I mean, Rachel steals the household gods. And if you're like me, you're like, what? Wait a minute. Like, Rachel stealing the household gods? What's that about, right? Well, if you, if you dig a little bit into it, it's like they were these little, not little trinkets like we would think of as like little household gods, but they were, they were a guarantee of whoever possessed them would get the inheritance, okay? So in Rachel's thinking, she's thinking, if we have these, then no one, then Laban cannot come in and dispute our prosperity. He cannot come in and, and dispute what Jacob has worked for. But then there's a little other thing going on here. She steals them, right? She doesn't just outright say, hey, these are mine. Laban, I'm sorry, but, but you have dis, you know, tricked us this whole time. And I'm taking these because it guarantees us our portion, right? But you also got to understand that Rachel and Leah, neither one of them got a dowry. Neither one of them got anything from their father throughout this whole entire story. So in her mind, she's going, these things are of some worth. They're probably made out of precious metal. I'm going to take them with them, with me. Now, in our, like, Jesus, no other gods before me mind, we think, why would she want these little household gods? They're a bit like a will and a, and a legal binding, Okay. So think of it that way. But then think of also in a very superstitious way. She's thinking, hey, if Laban doesn't have these, then he can't, he, he's not going to figure out where we are because those little household gods are not going to help them. Now, mind you, she's not a follower of Yahweh, Elohim, at this point. She's just following what her husband has said to do, and she is probably picked up on, yes, there is one almighty, true, eternal God, but there's some local stuff going on. There's some local gods that we kind of, you know, 
fertility stuff or prosperity stuff. And so they would have kind of been syncretists in this way. Sort of a folk, folksy kind of superstitious lot, right? Nothing like us. You know, we don't have any household gods, you know. Nothing that sits right in the middle of our, uh, our living rooms. Kind of gives us all the things we need to know, like comfort, entertainment, news. Keeps us informed. Bow down to it. Binge watch on it. Oh, we don't, we don't have that at, my, at your house, right? Like you know, maybe some of you do or don't. Household gods. I, I mean, I'm not one to say that I got household gods, but sports might be a little bit of a household god for me. I'm just saying. Makes me feel good. Makes me feel low. I go to it to meet my needs. I cheer for it. Spend a lot of money on it. Just saying. But here, Rachel, back in the context of this, she deceives her father. She sits on the gods, hides them from her. Claims that the, she's in the way of women. And y'all kids, ask your moms about that later. Um, but... She doesn't want Laban, basically, to, to find them. Because if he finds those household gods, then he can, he can just basically come in and take whatever he wants. And no one's going to dispute it. And you think about Jacob in this right here. He's so bold as to say, well, who, we didn't steal them. And whoever has them, may they be put to death. You ever, you ever been like that? So confident in something? You're like, yeah, man. Whoever's done it, may they get the worst of it. And it's like your kid that did it. Like, <laughs> I mean, we gotta we gotta watch what we say, right? Like, we I mean, he's just flowing right in confidence with that, and it's it's his the the wife that he really loves the most. In fact, we get he gets his favorite son from her, and there's 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 tension here. There's a lot of perilous consequences through Jacob's deceit, Rachel's stealing and deceit. There's a lot of stuff happening here. And what, it, what is evidentiary of it is that Jacob has not been leading his family well. Jacob has not been this husband who is saying, we follow the God of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, the one who has taken us and promised to us that he will provide for us. We don't have to lie that he's good. We don't have to fear because He's got our back. He's, he's not taught them that. In fact, the first teaching of, of, of the God of Bethel is right here in this chapter. And so we find that, that he puts his wife in serious jeopardy. Laban doesn't find the household gods. And so what happens is at the end of this chapter, we see Jacob and Laban. Laban kind of like covering his bases, right? Like, like God told me not to do anything bad or good to you or say anything bad or good to you. And so I won't, but I'm thinking, like, if you cross over here, I'm going to shoot to kill, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of like what we get out of this chapter at the very end here. It's like, let's set up this monument. Let's set up this, this stone witness, if you will. And, we'll, and, and normally in that time, you had to have three, you know, two people agreeing and a third witness. And so they say, we'll let God be our witness. 
And they set up this stone pillar. And, and it's, it's really fascinating about this is that he says to him, let's read it in verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. Like he's still on this, right? The children are my children. What? Dude, they're Jacob's. The flocks are my flocks. Seriously, dude? And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or your, their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let, us, let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up, a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. In verse 50, he says, If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and pillar to do harm to me. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And here's the, the, the interesting thing here. He says, So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his king, kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. And then early in the morning, Laban rose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. What I find fascinating about the end of this is that Laban had no right to claim any of those things. He'd given his daughters to Jacob. Jacob had worked for his daughters. Jacob had worked and, and shepherded his flocks, and God had prospered him. And it was God who was protecting Jacob. It was God who was providing for Jacob. And it was all bound to God's promise in chapter 12 of Genesis. Chapter 12 of Genesis, we know this promise that comes to Abraham we, we, are, we are a people who believe that this promise is not just for Abraham and his immediate descendants, but we believe that this promise goes and carries over that we are the people of the promise. Chapter 12, verse 2, it says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God linking back to that promise in Genesis chapter 12. As Jacob is the descendant of Isaac, as Isaac is the descendant of Abraham, this is God calling and bringing a people unto himself. And it's not just about a people. The promise isn't just about a people. The promise is that a people would be God's people, marked out and blessed to be a blessing. See, God's not prospering Jacob so that Jacob can sit around and be like, man, I'm a, I'm a rich, fat cat. I am so rich right now. I've got four wives, 12 sons. Like, there's not, there should not be this attitude in Jacob that his blessing or his prosperity comes for Jacob. And that's for us. Are you blessed today? You got a good home. You got a good job. You got wonderful kids. 
wife. That blessing is to be a blessing. It's to be generous. It's to provide protection for those who don't have it. The whole promise, the promise of, of land, the promise of people, the promise of a possession, and all of this in shalom and in peace from God is so that we, we would be a blessing to others. And this is what I believe God is echoing in Genesis chapter 31. This, this episode of, of Jacob and his dilemma with Laban is for us to see that we don't need to live in fear. We, we don't need to live as, as though our material blessings are, are, are right standing with God. Because they're not. Our right standing with God comes that God is with us. That he's for us. And he's namely for us in Christ Jesus. He's, he's declared to us, as he's declared to Jacob, I am with you. And he's done it through the cross. And he's done it through the resurrection. The power for us to put sin to death. The power for us to live a life that is bringing glory to God. I think about the Son uh, Jamie and, and, and a few of us were praying in the office this morning and, and, and we, Jamie read from Psalm 19 and he talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God. And we are uh, to be a people much like the sun rises and shatters the darkness. And when the sun is up, man, it's really hard to get dark. Any of you ever been on night shift where you have to work at night and then sleep during the day? I've been there. The worst part about that is you can't get your room dark enough. Or at least it was for me. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be noise going on. I got to have it dark when I sleep, right? What happens? Light, when that sun comes up, there's, it's hard to get dark. And that's the way we ought to be as God's people, declaring His goodness, His glory to the nations, to the neighborhoods. It should be a place where his light shines bright so much so through us because he is with us. And he's calling us to be a people blessed by his name for his purposes. Upon his promise, he is with us. Let's pray. Father, um, you are declared to us that you are with us. And Lord, we are thankful that we are not in this alone, that, uh, Father, that you are, are calling to yourself a people to be um, their prize and to be um, their possession, that one day, Father, we are going to walk into a, a, a country that's not far off, but we will walk into a banquet and a party, and, Lord, we just want to bring others to that party. Lord, as we've seen with Jacob his toil and his strife and being tricked by his, his father-in-law, that, Lord, you are even in the midst of those things. Lord, you are in the midst of our triumphs. You're in the midst of our tragedies. And God, that you are, are with us. And that's good news today. The, the creator of all things is with us. And you've given to us not only your son, 
but your spirit to be with us. Lord, may we um, rejoice in that this morning. May we rejoice um, being your people. And Lord, if there's someone here who, who is not, doesn't believe or has not believed yet that Jesus is the Son of God and that you raised him from the dead, I pray, Father, that now your heart, their hearts would be turned to you, Father, to see that you are indeed a good Father, a great God and King, and that you have made a way to be in relationship with us through your Son. Father, um, save souls for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we come to our time in our worship where we're, uh, we get to